so we're going to be picking up in Matthew chapter 27, starting at verse 62. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear now the Word of the Lord. Next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread amongst the Jews to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask, O oh, Father, that this day you would, by your Spirit, help us to understand a text that we have looked at many times. I pray it would be fresh to the eyes of our hearts. Grant us unction and anointing, we ask in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, there is no greater event in all of history than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Bar none, it is the most important, most significant event that has ever happened. The question is, has it made any difference in your life? Think about it. What if the grave wasn't empty when the ladies went that Sunday morning? You know, on a personal level, it would mean that we are still in our sins and left without any hope in this life or the next. But on another level, it would mean that God is not trustworthy. It would mean the things that he said would happen that they didn't, and therefore he is a liar, and our faith is futile, and we are still in our sin, and there is no hope in this life or the next. It would mean that Jesus was an imposter, and he was either a lunatic or a liar, as C.S. Lewis famously said. Death would still reign, and those whom we have said goodbye to, there would be no hope for them, and we would never see them again. The empty tomb is the most significant event in all of history. Has it made an impact on your life? The world will always have you believe that the resurrection is a myth, uh, something made up, 
that we see in our text this morning that the Jewish, Jewish leadership uh, tried to get ahead of the news of the resurrection going out, positioning themselves to continue a lie that, that continues today, that the resurrection wasn't real. You know, we actually have witnesses from 100 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that tell us that the lie was still prevalent in that day, that Jesus' disciples had stolen the body and that it was all a lie. Today, you, you might hear people say that, but we also have more sophisticated lies about it. Uh, like the swoon theory, have you heard this? That Jesus wasn't actually dead, he was just really hurt on the cross. And that uh, there was a nice wind that blew through the tomb, sealed up by stone, and, he, uh, and then he came back, he was refreshed. You, you know, the, the Romans were really good executioners. And when they stuck that spear through his side, it really was to make sure he was dead. Or, or my favorite, as in it's silly, not my favorite, like I believe it, that, uh, that the disciples all ate magical shrooms and hallucinated together that, uh, that Jesus was raised from the dead. But that's actually a pretty prevalent myth. Or the one that you'll hear from uh, many liberal scholars is the idea that the resurrection wasn't an actual physical thing, it was actually a spiritual resurrection, and we can know Jesus in our hearts, though his body is still in the grave. That one's the most dangerous, I think, because it sounds closer to orthodoxy. But unless the tomb was physically empty, we have no hope, and we are still in our sins. I'm here to proclaim to you this morning that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And it's not just, we can't just say Jesus was alive. We say present tense, Jesus is alive. And therefore, he is your salvation. And I encourage you, I charge you, I exhort you to look to him anew this morning. After Jesus died, a man named Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, both leaders in the Jewish community, came and took Jesus' body down. They wrapped him up and put him in Joseph's unused tomb having received special permission from Pilate. Now, this was a big deal. Because normally, if you were killed as an outcast, executed, naked on a cross, this, this was reserved for the worst of criminals, they would take your body and dump it in the Kidron Valley where it would be burned with all of the rest of the trash. And here was Joseph, one of the Sanhedrin, one of the, one of the leaders, one of the 70 leaders of all of Israel, and he breaks ranks with those who had crucified Jesus, and he publicly goes before the governor and asks to take this body down. This would have been a very public declaration of his belief in Christ. And so he and Nicodemus went, and they took the body down, and they laid him in Joseph's tomb, his own tomb. We know he was a wealthy man because to, be, to have a tomb with a stone to roll in front was a very expensive thing indeed. In fact, only a few of them have ever been discovered. He fulfilled in doing this Isaiah 53 that he would be laid in the tomb with a rich man. In order to keep the animals out, they rolled this big stone, which was important because it was a big, heavy stone, hard to move. And then they went home because the Sabbath was coming. What we would call Friday night was the beginning of the Saturday Sabbath. We don't know a lot about what the disciples did on Saturday, though it must have been a really bad day. A really, really bad day. The one whom they had trusted to be the Christ was dead. And they had forgotten the promises that Jesus had made about what was to happen. But there was another group who remembered the words of Jesus. And it's a very 
uh, startling group, verse 62 tells us. The next day, that is the day of preparation, that's Saturday, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Now, in this room, you have, in this room in our text, not here, you have three groups of people who hate each other. So the Pharisees thought that the Sadducees, who were all priests, were a bunch of crooks and liberals. They didn't believe in the resurrection, not even the Messiah, not even their own. The Pharisees were super legalistic, and they were getting uh, the land of Israel ready for the Messiah to come. Isn't that ironic? And they all hated the Romans, and the Romans hated them, and yet they came together breaking the Sabbath law, which the Pharisees sought to uphold to prepare for the Messiah to ask him to make sure that nothing happened regarding the resurrection. See, they, they remembered what Jesus had said. They remembered what Jesus said. Now, they didn't believe it, but they remembered. Apparently, no one else did. We see in verses 30, 63 and 64, and they said, Sir, we remember how that imposter, Jesus, said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. They remember Jesus, Jesus frequently telling everybody, okay, this is what's going to happen. Step one, they're going to get me. Two, they're going to kill me. Three, they're going to bury me. Now, now listen real carefully. On the third day, I'm going to rise again from the dead. Everything has happened at this point except the rising from the dead. And the Jewish leadership took him at his word. Now they thought he was crazy. But what they were afraid of was the disciples to perpetuate a myth, quote-unquote, they would come and steal his body. Now they didn't have to worry about anything because the disciples were downcast, downtrodden, and, and they were nowhere to be found. It's interesting, in their effort to double down to make sure that the quote-unquote myth of the resurrection was perpetuated, was, was sent out, they actually helped prove to all of history the resurrection of Jesus. The whole plan backfired. Because what we're going to have on the far end is a bunch of Roman guards lying to say that it, it didn't happen, which we'll look at in a minute. You know, it wasn't a hard task. You know, if, if this is Saturday morning, they really just need 36 hours to make sure this whole Jesus thing went away. And so they asked for this guard, and this guard, this Roman guard, was given to them. Now, guys, these, these are not wimps. Roman soldiers were not ones to mess with. These were tried and tested some of history's greatest warriors who were um, really used to doing really cruel things. Perhaps this group of guards had even helped crucify Jesus the day before. And so they go and they seal the stone. Now, they don't seal the tomb. The tomb has been sealed with the, with the stone. What they do is they seal the stone. And what they would have done is they would have taken a rope or a cord and, and wax and, put in, and attached the rope or cord to the face of the tomb with wax and then taken the cord and done the same thing to the stone. And then, likely, they would have gotten a Roman insignia ring, signet ring and pressed down into the, uh, into the warm wax before it cooled, showing who had sealed it. This is like police tape. And the, 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 um, the penalty for breaking one of these seals was death. Not only did they seal it to make sure no one opened it, and if it was opened, then it would be obvious that it happened, they set a guard, a round-the-clock kind of guard. Now, I've entitled this sermon, Why? 
And here I'd like to stop and ask a why question. We'll do this along our time together. Why were they so intent on keeping Jesus dead and in the tomb? Why was this so important to them? Why were they willing to break the Sabbath laws, these Jews, in order to meet with Pilate, whom they hated so much? And it's because they were a part of a larger struggle between light and dark between the forces of evil in the heavenly places and the kingdom of God's beloved Son in whom we have redemption, having been dealt the mortal blow, Satan and his minions were in their death throes trying as best they could to make sure that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And guess what? It didn't work. The empty tomb of Easter is about your salvation. It is. But it is also about more than that. There's a great cosmic struggle. And at the cross of Christ and the empty tomb of Sunday morning, Satan has dealt his mortal blow. Colossians 2.15 says that he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over, over them in Christ. Coming was the day, the next day, when it was shown that Satan had no power. And there's freedom in Christ. And Satan wanted nothing to do with it. Well, early on Sunday morning, before the sun is written, risen, uh, which we stitch together from the four Gospels, the names of Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, Salome, uh, who was the mother of the sons of Zebedee, Joanna, and some other unnamed women started out towards the tomb of Jesus. Uh, Mary Magdalene had been freed from demon possession, Uh, And she was eager to see her Lord again. Uh, Many of these, most of these were from Galilee and had traveled with Jesus, many of them providing for his needs. They had followed him from Galilee to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now, but we do have to ask the question, why were they going to the tomb? What were they expecting to find? Now, the sad reality is they were expecting to find Jesus' body. We know that. We're told that because they had brought herbs and spices to finish the anointing process that was custom in in these days for Jewish burials. Now, that says a lot about what they believed and what they, how poorly they had listened, all those things. But let's be real careful not to speak too lowly of these women. Why did they go? Because they loved Jesus. And they were loyal to him. And they were going to dress the body of a criminal who had died a traitor's death. And to be associated with this guy was not something that would have been good for your social standing. Secondly, where were the eleven? These women were there, these ladies who had stayed at the crucifixion, who had followed Joseph and Nicodemus to the tomb. And they had come back to do what they were meant to do because they loved him. And the eleven, apart from John had all abandoned Christ at the cross and were nowhere to be found on Easter morning. These were godly ladies. They needed their faith strengthened just like the rest of us. But these were wonderful godly ladies. We we learned from the Mark account that they were worried about how to roll the large stone away, the one that had been sealed by the Roman guard, but God took care of that. We learned that in verse uh, uh, chapter 28, 2 through 4. And behold, there was a great earthquake, For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. 
There had been an earthquake at Jesus' crucifixion. Did, did you remember that? There was an earthquake then? Uh, and guess what? There's another earthquake. Uh, and earthquakes happen within the prophets, within the Bible, especially at times of judgment and justice and the showing up of something really exciting and supernatural. And so all creation had grown together as, as its maker was crucified. And now it is like creation is singing out his praises as an earthquake celebrates his resurrection. Now there's a great play on words here. Because the earthquake, but in the Greek, someone else quaked that day too. The word here for fear and trembling with the, uh, with the Romans in the Greek, it literally says they quaked. They quaked out of fear. Because they were in the presence of something that was far bigger than they, they were. Far bigger than just the Romans and the Jews. They had been co-opted into Satan's plan. And they were quaking at the presence of just one angel. Don't you love that? Here were the world's best warriors, and they were quaking and, and like dead men, passed out, knocked out because of one angel, much less the Lord of hosts, of angel armies. So God took care of the stone. Jesus didn't need the stone to be moved so he could get out. Rather, the stone was an invitation an invitation for the, for the women and for the disciples soon thereafter to go in and consider the resurrection, to consider the empty tomb. Have you considered the empty tomb? Have you looked in to see if the body of Jesus was really there or not? It wasn't. You won't find it there. The truthfulness of the resurrection is an established historical fact. It really did happen. Hundreds of people saw Jesus alive. Hundreds. And the New Testament was written during their lives. There were still people alive who were reading these things and sending them all over the, the, um, the Roman world who had seen this and would have been able to say, no, that's not how it happened, but they didn't. We have Roman historical facts, uh, documents saying these, these Christians, they, they, they say that Jesus is raised from the dead. I mean, this thing continued to go forth. We know it's true also, well, not just... Word of God says it. Secondly, but these, these 11 scaredy-cat coward disciples soon will be the most effective evangelists and church planners the world has ever seen. And apart from John, who died in exile on the Isle of Patmos, along with Paul and Stephen and others, they will die horrendous deaths of martyrdom because they will not be silent about the empty tomb. Something had to have transformed their lives. It was an empty tomb in the coming of the Holy Spirit. By the early 300s, the gospel had conquered the Roman Empire. The very empire that had put Jesus to death. Consider the empty tomb because, my friends, it is true. It is the most significant event in all of history. Is it significant in your life? It means the claims of Christ are true it means there's hope in our fight against sin. There's hope of salvation. There, wouldn't it be great if there was a way to go from being condemned because of our sin to not being condemned? Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because God has made Him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It, it means that there's hope for every relationship for your marriage, for your children, for those work relationships. It means there's hope against your worst enemy, which is often yourself and myself. It means there's hope that when we die, we will be immediately ushered into the presence of Christ. None of those things will be true 
if the tomb wasn't empty. The angels, uh, excuse me, the angel, there, there are two according to the other texts. There's, uh, there's one is highlighted here. The angel tells the ladies to go and tell the disciples that Christ has been risen from the dead, raised from the dead. And so we pick up in verses 8 through 10. And so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Let me just stop a second. They were afraid, wouldn't you be? A little bit of trembling. Perhaps your knees would have quaked as well. But then it says great joy. It doesn't say great fear. It says great joy only. Great joy filled their hearts. Amazement, wonder, how could this be true? What's going on? Isn't this exciting? we got to tell somebody. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go into Galilee, and there they will see me. So they run into Jesus. Now, greetings sounds pretty formal, doesn't it? But in the Greek, it's not. It's really not in the Greek. Uh, if, this were, if Jesus had been raised in Bruton or East Bruton or Flomaton, he would have said, howdy or how do. Uh, what's up? You know, this is, this is him greeting these ladies with love and joy. Hey, guys. You know, smile on his face. And notice he could have rebuked them. And he doesn't. He loves them. He's excited that they get to see him and believe with fresh eyes in a risen Savior. May you see with fresh eyes your risen Savior. Well, we have much to learn from their reaction. What do they do? They grab hold of his feet and they worship him. They worship him. He wasn't a ghost. They grabbed him. This wasn't something made up. This wasn't a hallucination. He wasn't weak. If he had just been injured on the cross, he wouldn't have been able to walk. And here he was, appearing before them. He was real, still in his hands and his feet, the nail holes. And what did they do? They rendered him praise. Much like the wise men bowed and worshipped at his arrival, now these ladies whose lives have been transformed by the gospel now bow before him as he has come again, risen from the grave. As you consider the empty tomb, the proper response is worship, bowing before him and praising Christ. Worship the risen king, the one who loved you and gave himself for you. So here's a why question. Why does the empty tomb matter? Why does it matter on, uh, at 1057 uh, on April the 9th, 2023? When your roast is in the oven, when you're excited about looking for Easter eggs, when you wish the preacher would close on time, right? <laughs> Why does it matter? Why is it the most significant event in all of history? Well, there are many implications, but the greatest is that it means that Christ's sacrifice worked. Anybody can die for anybody. I can write you a letter and say, I'm going to die for you. Okay. But beyond my death, there's no impact on your life. Jesus said that he was the Lamb of God. He, he said before Abraham was, I am. He, he, he said he's God. And he said he had to lay his life down, and, and it was his to take it back up again. And he was coming to do it. He was, as a shepherd, laying down his life for the sheep, John 10 tells us. He said he was going to die for our sin, and then he died. 
And we know that his sacrifice worked and was accepted by the Father because the Father raised him to life again. If you wonder if your sins are forgiven, if you're in Christ Jesus, remember the empty tomb. Because it means your sins have been buried with Christ, and when he came back up, they weren't on him anymore. The Father had dealt with them. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has God taken our sins, cast them away from us. He remembers them no more. If you're in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, none of that's true of you. And you still bear your sin. But Jesus is willing to bear them now, that you would bear them no more. Ready, He stands to save you, full of pity, grace, and power, and love. See, Christ came to deal with our greatest problems. Because of the empty tomb, Romans 4.25 says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The biggest issue we have, and I know some of your stories, and I know the pain in many of these pews, and then there are many things you would never feel comfortable to tell me, although I wish you would. I'm your friend. Your biggest problem is your guilt before God because of your sin. The things you have done. You didn't do them because someone made you. You didn't do them because you had a bad experience. Those things might also be true, but, but Jesus loves you. And he came to, to pay for those things. That if you would admit them and ask him to forgive you, he will. Wouldn't it be nice if you could be forgiven for your past? Wouldn't it be nice? And I'm here to tell you, because of the empty tomb, you can. You don't have to leave this place with your sins. You can leave them in this sanctuary. You can leave them with Jesus. You can be declared righteous and be assured that if you were to die today, you would wake up in heaven, all because of the empty tomb. Our text concludes with two groups going away from the tomb. You have the ladies running with joy, great joy and fear, to tell the disciples what has happened. You also have the guards who are leaving out of fear. They're, they're afraid because of what they've experienced, but they're also afraid to admit to what has happened, that the body is gone, because the Roman um, uh, uh, penalty for a soldier who failed in this way was immediate death. And so they don't run to Pilate. They run to the chief priests. They run to the Jews. And this is one of those, okay, we got to talk about kind of situations. So they called the whole Sanhedrin together, all the elders, verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. One commentator points out the real issue isn't what happened, but what didn't happen. Isn't it interesting that the Jewish leadership didn't ask any questions of the guards? They didn't say, okay, tell us a little more about this angel you keep talking about. And where was the body? And what happened? And what did you hear them say? And the ladies... Did you get a glimpse of Jesus over there? We don't know all what they saw. But they're just, the Jews just want this to go away. And so this is hush money, a sufficient sum of money. I wonder how much it was potentially facing capital punishment. I wonder if they bargained. No, that's, that's not going to be enough. You're going to have to give us more than that. But finally they came to the right sum. And what did they, they were told what they were supposed to say. Verse 13, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And so they did. This lie has been spread not just then, but also now. This is our final why question. Why shouldn't we believe the guards? 
These are Roman soldiers. They were trustworthy. They couldn't lie under penalty of death. Why shouldn't we believe them? Quite simply, because if they were asleep, how would they have known who stole the body? Their own story didn't make sense. The simplest answer for what happened on Resurrection Sunday is that Jesus really did rise in the grave, freeing you from your sins and giving you eternal life. Well, as we land this plane, let me conclude that Jesus' resurrection ensures another resurrection that will come on the last day when he returns to make all things new. And whose resurrection does it ensure? Yours. So that you can live with him forever in the new heavens, new earth. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Father, we thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you that when the ladies got there, that Jesus was not there. Uh, we thank you for the good news. And we, we bow in reverential awe and fear with great joy, asking that you might today remind us more and more of the most important event in all of history. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.